What a great reminder. Let's pull out our cell phones right at the jump. There's a little button on the side. What you want is the off position. Amen? All right. Numbers 26. Now, Father, as we bow our hearts and change gears, focus on your word, your living word that brings life. May we have, as Jesus taught us, ears to hear and hearts that understand. In Christ's name, amen. Well, last April, as many of you would remember, the uh, United States conducted its census. Every person... And every household was counted. And here's the official reason why we do that. The official U.S. Census is described in Article 1, Section 2 of the Constitution of the United States. It calls for an actual count of the population every 10 years to be used for appointing seats in the House of Representatives among the states. The first official census was conducted in 1790, under Thomas Jefferson, who was the Secretary of State. That census, taken by U.S. Marshals on horseback, counted 3.9 million inhabitants. Since that time, the census has been conducted every 10 years, generally on April 1st, in years ending in zero. 3.9 million, the first time they took it. By the way, the 2010 census revealed 308,745,538 Americans. That's up by 7,500%. That's quite a number. Now, in short, you know, states are represented in Washington by congressmen, and the number of congressmen each state gets is determined on our population of the state. And there are limits for that. And all the homeschooled kids are nodding their heads in agreement because they are the only ones who really know what I'm talking about, I think. (laughs) Well, it's fresh in their minds, shall I say. Well, Israel has just had a second census in 40 years. And it wasn't ordered by Uncle Sam. It was ordered by Father God. And um, here are the stats here. The chart, wrong one, there we go, 12 tribes, Levi doesn't get counted, and we're going to talk about that tonight, 40 years ago, the first generation of unbelief were counted, and they, all of their bodies lay now in the wilderness. Now, this chapter, Numbers 26, as we've been talking about, has been the official uh, start of a new generation. The old is gone, the new has come, and this generation will inhabit the promised land. And you see the, the net gains or minuses there. The big news, and we talked about this, was that Simeon's 
group lost 37,000 people, um, minus 63%. That was mostly due to a bad boy from their clan uh, who infected, really, his rebellion with the entire clan. And so they lost a great deal of people, and they hadn't had time to replenish yet. And so that's kind of the gist of it, really. The point here is that in 40 years, because of their unbelief and not wanting to do things God's way and dragging their heels all the way, not much changed. Because you, you started with 603,000, you end up with 601. It's just about the same. They didn't go anywhere. They should have grown quite a bit. But they didn't because they wouldn't do things God's way. And that's always a great lesson. Thank you for the chart, Mikey. And so uh, we see now in this census uh, the meaning and purposes that God had kind of different than the United States government. Really the purpose of God wanting to number the people where we get the name of the book of numbers because he numbers them twice um, the number one theme, remember, it's a militaristic theme. It's because God's people are, are needing to fight. It is uh, a promised land. It is a gift, but they're going to have to fight their way. And every person of God, every person of faith will have a fight. And we talked about this last week, a fight with our own na- sinful nature, our fight with spiritual warfare, and our fight in this world that does not Uh, receive Christ and uh, has rejected God's way. The other thing that the census revealed to us is that individuals count and everybody has a God-given role. And in the church, Paul the Apostle writes under God's um, inspiration, telling us that we all have a part, we all have a gift, we all contribute, we all matter to God. We form like one body. One body, many members. But most significantly, and we're going to pick up here tonight, is the point of the numbering really for this new generation has to do with matters of inheritance. These are the folks that are going to inherit the land. They're, they're on the brink of crossing the Jordan River. When they cross the Jordan River, they're in Israel proper, and they're going to divvy up the land, their inheritance. The point of having the census is to divvy up the land according to the tribes. And the major emphasis is on equity and fairness. The larger tribes will receive larger portion of inheritance and so on. And so we're going to take a a look at that. Uh, Now, essentially, the, the, the map that you've already previewed, and it'll go up now, These folks descended from basically 12 men, the 12 sons of Jacob, who had a name change to Israel. That is why the Jews are called the children of Israel after their progenitor, Jacob, who had a name change to Israel. Those 12 boys are given an inheritance, those descendants in little clans. So everybody with the last name of Reuben, and that comes from Reuben, that clan all got an inheritance, and they lived together. You could think of it as, here's the, the, the nation, and there are going to be 12 states, one for each clan of you. And the way that we're going to divide this up 
is first we're going to count you and number you so we know who you are and how big your clan is. And we're going to apportion your inheritance by um, looking at some of the information in this census. And, and so that's really, it's very interesting. And jo- Joshua, where we're going next, is really entering the land and divvying up the inheritance. And we will find that some of the clans were not satisfied with the small amount that they had. And they fought and prayed and for more. And they became more. So you'll look at this and go, well, according to the numbers and according to God's methods, they should be not as large as they are. But you will find in our study coming that as their faith, so to their inheritance, they wanted more, and God was okay with that. And so he gave them more than what they had uh, originally had in place. Let's pick up in verse 51. Thanks for that. The total number of men of Israel was 601,730. So verse 51, Numbers 26. Verse 52, the Lord said to Moses, the land is to be allotted to them as an inheritance based on the number of names. So there we have his purpose, one of his purposes for numbering them. To a larger group, give a larger inheritance and to a smaller group, a smaller one. Each is to receive its inheritance according to the number of those listed. Be sure that the land is distributed by lot. We talked about that last week. What each group inherits will be according to the names for its ancestral tribe. Each inheritance is to be distributed by lot among the larger and smaller groups. So we're going to park there for a while. I mentioned to you that 12 times inheritance and inherit is mentioned in this chapter. And I really feel that I need to park a little bit here and talk about what it means to inherit the promised land and what that means for Christians today to inherit a promised land. Because we are all heirs and we have a promise and we are going to a place called the promised land in the scriptures. Of course, that would be heaven for us. Now, it's interesting, you know, how they're going to use this information to to appropriate the land. It's not like far away, you know, the movie Far Away, where they just in the West, they had a line and they had everybody line up on their horses. And if you've seen the movie... And then somebody fires a shot, and they go bursting off. And then the first one to your little place, you can just kind of stake it for yourself, and you'd get about 600 acres or so. But, you know, there was a lot of chaos. You know, uh, somebody was telling me, Adam was telling me about the movie, and in that scene, you know, they jump, one guy jumps the gun because he wants to get a good piece of land for himself. He wants the inheritance that he wants. And someone shoots him dead. You know, um, a lot of chaos. Can you imagine two million? There's 600 fighting men. It implies two million people. Two million people coming across the Jordan. And then what? This is our promised land. Well, how are we going to divide it up? God says, look, I'm giving you the land. I know who's going to get what. And we're going to take a look at how he divides up the land. And it has a great spiritual significance for us. 
And the one of the reasons why I want to park here is because I believe the weakest subject of understanding in the average Christian's mind is the understanding of heaven. What it means to be an heir. Where you're going, what it looks like, what we're doing there, how you determine the role that you play there, and you do. You determine your role in the hereafter according to the Bible. Most Christians, it's just like, I prayed the prayer, I'm going to heaven, my sins are forgiven, I'm not going to hell, I'm going up there somewhere, it's foggy and misty, we play harps, and the end, you know, that's all they know. You are so wrong, and you are so missing out. Did you even know that heaven is on earth? There is, heaven comes down. Jesus returns to this planet, and he renews this planet, essentially, when he comes, and turns it into the paradise of God. It's called a garden paradise. It is not up in the clouds. It is here on earth. Most Christians don't even know that. A Jehovah's Witness will go up to an average born-again Christian and blow them away and say, where do you go when you die? Heaven, explain it to me. Well, it's up there with clouds and we play harps. (laughs) Come on, guys. It's not so. Jesus comes back to this earth. Heaven is here. It's going to be here. Heaven descends and it's here, the New Jerusalem. We'll talk about that. But So I, I just want to talk about this inheritance. Number one. All right. What were the determining? This is pretty important because if you get this, you'll understand what determined what gave them their inheritance, the factors of what determines how you get your inheritance. Because we will all share differently when we get there. So I want to talk to you. How does God decide in his head who goes where? Because he's got a plan. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you in my father's house or many rooms. It's just an idiom to say, look, I, I got a place for you in heaven. I got a role for you. You're an heir. You're going there. You're inheriting this. It's, we're going to talk about how he decides exactly which room you get. Now, you know we're talking in broader terms than you're getting a room. You're getting a place there. You have a position. There's activity going on. Jesus is ruling the world, and we, his administrative uh, assistants, if you want to see it that way. Well, number one, the way God determines inheritance is, number one, it's grace. It's always grace. In Exodus 19, when they get to Mount Sinai, the Lord tells Moses to say this. You tell them, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt on your behalf and how I carried you out on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Everything God has ever done in the Old Testament and new for you is based on grace. Noah he found favor. The word is grace. He wasn't a, a necessarily a good guy. And God said, look, there's only one good guy left. He believed in God and he found grace. Abraham, the father of really us all who believe in God. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 says it was his trust in God that put him right with God. He wasn't this good man that caught God's attention. 
He was an average man, a sinner, who happened to believe in God. And God said, because you believe in me, I'm going to put you right with myself. And he credited his account as, as right with him because of what? But not because of his goodness. So it's inheritance is always based not on what you're, you're doing or striving, but on the grace of God. Secondly, the inheritance will be divided equitably. In other words, in total fairness. Psalm 89, verse 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. So when we get there, when they got there, it was so fair. It was fair, fair. That was part of the deal of the census saying, look, you guys go there. And as we study, you're going to see a lot of them gripe. Big surprise, I know. They, they, they complain. They're not all happy about what part they get. Why do we have to go over by the sea? Why do we get the northern part? Why aren't we bigger and all of that stuff? But it is so right. And it is so fair. And that is how God will treat us as well. It will be picture perfect. It will be, it will be right and fair. And everybody will totally be in agreement to that. And thirdly, the behavior of the heir determines a role in that inheritance. So, for example, um, faith and obedience brings a fullness of blessing. Joshua and Caleb are a good example of that. But unbelief and sin prevents the heir from fully realizing all that God had. And now you can think about Moses and Miriam and Aaron. They fall short. You know, honestly, how far are you going to get in a company if you're doing exactly the opposite of what your boss wants you to do? If you're not on good terms with the boss, are you really going to get far in the company? And every time the boss walks by, you kind of ignore him and look the other way. When you know the boss says, you know, three things are really important to me. One, two, and three. You know, and you just go, whatever. And you don't do one, you don't do two, and you hate three, and you don't do three either. And you're wondering why you don't get promoted, and there's no movement, and you're not. Come on, man. It's, it's just common sense. And so the air clearly can still be saved as Moses, Miriam, and Aaron and many, many of those who fell in the desert. Short, you can still be saved, but forfeit the grace that can be yours, the fullest idea that God had in mind for you when he created you. I think that many people will find out on that great day that God had some wonderful thing in store and we just would fall short. Not because you can't be Christian enough, but because you just won't walk with him. You just won't believe in him. You just, he never asks you to earn anything. He just says, be with me. He never says, jump this high. He just says, come this close. So it's not this idea of, oh, I can never be that holy person. Oh, yeah. No, it's not that way. You don't have to be a Bible scholar and know where every verse is. He's not calling you to do that. He's calling you to be with him and to do your best every day, to walk with him, to love him. That's what he's asking for. So three words, 
Grace, fairness, and performance is how God, what God takes into um, mind in consideration when he's divvying up the inheritance for his people. Now, as I said, we are heirs. Listen to this. Ephesians 3.6. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs. Non-Jewish people are heirs together with Israel members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Here's another verse for you, Galatians 3.29. If you belong to Christ, then you are an heir according to the promise. God has made you heirs. Romans 8.17. Now, if we are children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So, you know, This should intrigue you because you are an heir. Now, as an heir, you have something to look forward to. We have a promised land, as I've been saying. We have a journey of faith. We are heirs. We are fighting towards something, just like this is all a shadow and a uh, story of our lives and going to heaven. And how will it be divvied up for you when you cross that Jordan River, which is a symbol for death for Christians. When you cross the Jordan and you end up face to face with the Lord, how is he going to determine where to put you? There's land there. There's authority. There's positions. There are thrones. There are crowns. There are, uh, there are honor, honors and reward. How's he going to determine that? I thought we'd just all get the same thing. We all said the sinner's prayer. We all get to heaven, right? Wrong. Let's talk about it. Number one, the same way in the Old Testament he he divvies up the inheritance, the same three words. Number one, grace is the foundation. You know, I told you about um, an estate that my Jewish relatives had in World War II before World War II. They were, uh, because of the Holocaust, they were called Reinermen back then. And one of them had a bank account. And he left it. And they fled to America. And they came to Brooklyn. My great uncle and my grandfather. My great uncle's money was left there. That's not a lot. It was 20000 U.S. dollars. And by the time it gets to me, they, a genealogical company found us and my siblings. I told you about this a while ago. And it comes down to a couple thousand dollars for me by the time my, my aunt and my mother and my three siblings and me share it. It's exciting to be an heir. It, but it's grace. I didn't do anything to earn that. I had nothing to do with that. You see, it's money that didn't get claimed back when he could claim it. He never went and claimed it. And, it, you know, there must have been just a tiny bit of money in there, but it grew to $20,000. And so my point is, is that it's grace, you know. It's a lot of fun to think about, but it had nothing to do with me. Titus 3.7 so, says, You have been justified by grace and that we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. You see, justified, all this has the foundation of grace, being an heir. 
Ephesians 2.8 is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works so that nobody can boast. Now, you're going to think that I'm saying, talking two sides of my mouth here, but hold on. I'm going to come around and help you. The foundation for everything, even when we are performing and being evaluated for our faithfulness, is all grace-based. Jesus, John 15, 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so even when I excel and I'm faithful, it will still be traced back to the grace of God. But number one, grace is the foundation. No one gets into the party without the covering of the king's uh, garment. You remember in Matthew 22, there's this parable saying that heaven is like the king throwing a party. But everybody who got into the party had to wear these robes that the king provided at the door. And those robes are a symbol of Christ's grace and covering on our sins. And so the king goes through to the party, you know the parable, and he's looking around and everybody's wearing the provided robe except one guy. He's got a stained T-shirt with his sweat stains and, you know, food dripping down. And he's like, you know, belling up to the table. And the king says, ah, what are you doing in here without a covering? And he's speechless, and he says, throw that man out. He doesn't belong in heaven. He doesn't belong in heaven without a covering, without grace. And so it's always by grace. Number two, equitable, fair, portions, land, positions, honor, reward, crowns in the next life. When you get there and you see who's doing what, you will go perfect. Even in your own life. You will, even if it's less than what you had hoped for, you will say, this is so awesome and so right and so fair. Proverbs 25.11 says, Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a ruling rightly given. The judge of the earth, man, he's got a place for us, and it's just going to be so Perfect. He will have considered all things about you, seen and unseen, known and unknown, and it will be perfectly fair, which brings me to the next point. Our behavior will play a role in our specific inheritance. Now, we've been here before. That's really important. Luke 19, there's a parable called the Mina, and the Mina is just $100, all right? And Jesus says, think of heaven and going to heaven in terms of an investment firm that you work for. And he brings in 10 guys. And the boss says, here's 100 bucks for each of you. You got six months. Invest this 100 bucks, and then I'm going to call you in. Well, the buzzer goes off. Six months is gone. And the first guy comes in and says, sir, your 100 bucks. I got 10 times that. And he says, you know what? You're going to be promoted to 10 cities, 10 states, 10 regions. You're going to get 10 offices to oversee. The next guy comes in and says, sir, you gave me 100 bucks, but I got 500, five times as much. He says, great. You get five offices, five states to oversee. And then there's a guy that comes in and says, you know what? I don't play your silly games of investment. And the Lord says, bye-bye. Now, 
That's, he's not a part of the story because he won't be there because you either play God's game or you don't <laughs> and you don't live. He's given us a life. We use it or lose it. It's not a game. It's not an accident. We weren't just born and popped here. He, he gave you a life for a purpose and he wants some return on it. And to show that you spent your very life on you just as an offense to God. Now listen to this. Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as you're working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Now there's no way the Bible ever tells you to work for getting into heaven. That is just a free gift that you can do nothing. You just receive it. But there's this other side of how God will divvy up our inheritance. And it's based on our behavior and our faithfulness. Listen to what Paul says. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart because you know you're getting a reward. Well, the Bible never says work for anything of your salvation. So... On one hand, it's totally free. And on another hand, uh, we are determining our roles. Now, lest you think that it's just about, you know, output and outward accomplishments, Matthew 25 has another parable, the parable of the talents. Now, instead of $100, the talent was $1,000. So here's the story. He says, one guy gets 5000 bucks. That guy makes 5000 bucks. He says, well done, great job, wow, you're going to be promoted. It's kind of vague. Number two, one guy gets 2000 to start with. Different than the 5000 guy. The guy. One guy got 5000 he made 5000 This guy gets 2000 and according to Matthew 25, he makes 2000 more. And the Lord says the exact same thing to him as the guy who made 5000 What does this tell me? The equitable thing. God is considering all things because he did just as much with what he was given. So outwardly, you could look at the five and go, oh, 5,000, he's the man. No, 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 no. The guy with the 2,000 gets the same thing as the guy with the five because in this case, he was only given two. And what he was given He did, he worked just as faithful and just as hard in his circumstance. Therefore, you will not be able to tell the difference between a 5,000 gain and a 2,000 gain because God is factoring in all of the considerations. What country were you born in? Were you born in Zimbabwe or the United States of America? Were you born in a land where they cut your head off for saying that you're a Christian? Or were you born in a land that you had a church on every corner and a Bible bookstore in every mall? Were you born in the 1800s or were you born in, the, in, the, in 2000? Were you poor or were you rich? Were you sick or were you healthy? Were you raised in the church Or were you abused in foster home after foster home after foster home? My friend, God is factoring in all of these things. That is why a person who has never been to seminary is judged totally different than a guy 
who's never went to high school. God is not asking the guy who does not have 10 years of seminary. 10 years. He's going to hold me to that. He's not going to hold you to that. But he's going to hold you to your 2,000, whatever that is. You know what it is. He knows what it is. And that's the standard he's going to judge you by. And so it's pretty encouraging. Well, (laughs) you know, mostly. (laughs) Mostly it is. Now, I need you to turn somewhere real quick to 1 Corinthians 3. This is kind of an echo in my teaching. I realize that, but it is so important. 1 Corinthians 3, starting at verse 10, Paul is trying to encourage the, the Christians who are saved at the, at, at the, in the city of Corinth to live better lives so that they can inherit better. Verse 10. There's the grace of God again. By the grace of God, by the grace God has given me, verse 10, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that's already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So when you get saved, you have a foundation, and he says, on your mark, get set, go, start building. Verse 12. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, all the good things, or bad things, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day, the second coming, when you stand before Jesus Christ, that day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Now, there you have it. Saved, but suffer loss. What loss? Crowns? Cities? Honor? If I take to heart this verse and put it on my refrigerator and in my car and in my Bible and everywhere I look, I realize that my choices day to day are determining an eternal place where I could lose or I can gain. It makes living life so much more significant in everyday choices, how I respond to what you're saying to me, how I respond with the opportunity. Every day is kind of a blank slate where I can invest and make a difference. Now, it's all by grace. Can I say, you know, yes, we believers all get the basic plan. By grace, we get to go to heaven. But we also will be rewarded according to our faithful performance. Matthew 20, another great parable. The Lord says, think about getting to heaven like this. The owner of the vineyard needs some workers. So he goes out to the uh, marketplace, and he sees a bunch of migrant workers hanging out, which would be us. And he says, hey, I got a job for you. I'll pay you 150 bucks work in my vineyard. So at 9 o'clock, 
One guy says, hey, I'll go. And he says, yeah, go head out. 150 bucks, I'll see you at six. And then at noon, he sees somebody else standing there and twiddling his thumbs. He says, what's up with you? Why aren't you working? He says, oh, nobody hired me. He goes, I'll hire you. Go out into my field and work. I'll give you 150 bucks. So he goes out at noon and he works. And he says, I'll see you at six. And then at three o'clock, he sees somebody hanging out. And he says, hey, you want to work for me? And he says, yeah, sure. He goes, good, I'll pay you what's right. Go out into my vineyard. I'll see you at six. At five o'clock, he sees a dude leaning against the wall. And he says, hey, what's up? He goes, well, nobody hired me today. He goes, I'll hire you. You want to go work for me? Go in my vineyard. I'll pay you what's right. I'll see you at six. So at six o'clock, the boss rolls in. And he says, okay, line up. It's pay time. And he says, let's start with the five o'clock guy. And the five o'clock guy comes and he says, 150 bucks. Three o'clock guy, 150 bucks. The 12 o'clock guy, 150 bucks. The 9 a.m. guy, 150 bucks. The 6 a.m. guy, 150 bucks. They're like, excuse us. <laughs> However, we've just noticed that you gave the 5 o'clock guy 150 bucks. Yeah. You got a problem with that, he says? Is it your money or mine? It's my money, and I'm generous. This is how the thief on the cross can get into paradise, the same paradise the Apostle Paul gets to go into. Because the initial entrance fee is waived. It's grace-based. Where you end up in your role, all things considered, grace, fairness, and performance. Those three things will work to where you find yourself on that day looking at the God of the universe into his eyes. He will tell you, according to everything I know about you, according to what you were given, your handicaps and your strengths and your gifts and your calling and your faithfulness, this is what I have for you. And you're in the moment of time where you can change what will come out of his mouth. You have an appointment. You are going. It's just a matter of time. And he will say to you, if you're saved, enter into the joy of the Lord. Here's what I've prepared for you based on the whole picture. This is your inheritance. You won't be able to change it. You won't be able to say, well, let me explain why I did that. No, he already knows why you did that. He knows the whole thing. There'll be no, no, none of that. <laughs> none of that. Now, what, what I love is getting that truth now. Well, I have time. We're all alive. We all have time. We can make some changes. What, what, what did it mean when he said, hey, you gave me a hundred bucks, I got a thousand bucks. What did that look like to a Christian? I've impacted people. I've told many people. I've witnessed to people. I've grown in my character. I've grown in my faith. Listen to the way I talked when I first came to you. Now play the tape. Play the tape 10 years later. Listen to how I talked then. Look at how I prayed when I first had the foundation. Now play the tape. Play the tape. Open the books. 
Look at how I grew in my, my prayer time, in my knowledge of you, in my intimacy with you. Look at my giving records. Or don't look at my giving records. Look at how much I gave when I first found you. And every year, Lord, the church increased. The church had more and more needs. And look what I did, not only with giving, but in giving of my time and my prayers. Look at my praying. Look at my temper. Look at my gossiping. Look at, look at how I've improved and grown. These are gains that you, we, you can bring in and say, I've grown, I've gained, I've impacted in my Christian life, in my Christian community, in the church, in the world. You know, I gave to a missionary. You know, all of these things. And, you know, you're not going to be up there, you know, defending yourself. The Lord is going to be affirming you. You know, Christian judgment isn't going to be one necessarily of all regret. It's going to be one of joy and affirmation. He's going to say, well done, if you deserve it, well done. But the guy who, you know, continues to drink, he's saved. He causes a drunk driving accident. That Christian, compared to a guy who abstains and is a blessing and a joy, Come on, they don't get the same thing. You know that. He gets to go if he trusted, but he will suffer loss. Maybe that's why he wipes every tear from our eyes. There's some tears there, and he'll wipe them away. Let's make the most of this day. Stop with the excuses, I'm just a kid, I'm just in junior high, I'm just this or I'm just that. Mom, if you got four little kids, God bless you. God is looking at you with all, as a stay-at-home mom with four little kids. Do your best as a stay-at-home mom with four little kids. That's all he's asking of you. And if you're a 25-year-old single man, get busy. What are you going to say to him when the stay-at-home mom with four little kids says, I did more than that guy over there? And the Lord will say, that's why you're able to have this inheritance here, and he isn't. You see? God is smart. He sees the whole deal. And to to whom much is given, much is required. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for encouraging. I feel encouraged, Lord. I feel devastated on one hand, and I feel comforted and encouraged on the other hand. Because I know, Lord, I know that there's going to be some loss there already. In 30 years, I just know there's going to be some loss. But I know there's going to be gain, too. So help us, Lord, in today... Not to look back, but to look forward to tonight. Because tonight is, is a clear slate to invest. We can invest tonight and tomorrow. And as long as it's called today. So help us to even believe that all of this is going to happen by faith. So that we really take it seriously. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. One of the most encouraging scriptures in the whole Gospels is Jesus saying, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, he who's given a cup of cold water to the least of my brothers, surely you will not lose your reward. What is he saying? He's saying to somebody who the world would look at and go, oh, come on, he's just not a real significant person, but he's a Christian. And you've done the least little thing to encourage them. A cup of cold water is like a kind word or a favor. Hey, I'm thirsty. Here's a cup of cold water. A cup of cold water is not the big thing, you know? Anybody in this room can do a cup of cold water. And he says, truly, Son of God speaking, truly, you will hear about it. He's made it so easy to rack up rewards. He's not thinking, oh, did you send thousands of dollars to some missionary? Oh, come on. A cup of cold water, he says, oh, you're going to hear about it. Well, think about it. Who can I encourage tonight? Can I pray with somebody here? A cup of cold water, ding, 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 cha-ching, cha-ching. In heaven. I, I don't know. Paul says, don't you realize that everybody runs in a race, runs for the prize, run in such a way to win the prize. Cha-cha-ching. Get that register going in heaven. That's not a bad thing. I mean, I'm sure you, in our wicked hearts, we can turn it into a bad thing. But biblically, it says, hey, you want a good experience there? Think of ways to do some good for some folks, and it can be real simple. Jesus, thank you for making it simple and wanting us to farewell like a good father on Christmas Day to see us in our aha moment when we see your face and cross the River Jordan and you say, this is for you. This is your inheritance. This is what your reward is. You want us to light up and just be floored. So you've made it so easy. You've gifted us with the ability to do anything you've called us to do. Help us not worry about the things you didn't call us to and didn't gift us for, but what you did give us. Help us to be faithful with that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Well, as most of you know, my beloved,